0: Thinking about this whole idea of you know those shows that who do you think you are and ancestry.com's just gone nuts and is really popular and everything and I was thinking about that whole idea of how can something like that actually change who we understand ourselves to be and uh, it reminded me of something very very important that happened to me you see i had decided not to have any children and i was quite happy changing the world for god being busy doing my thing um, keeping busy. And then one day someone said to me, you know you're pregnant, right? I've been married 10 years and I did not want to have children. Anyway. That's a whole other story. But I found myself expecting a baby. And after I got past all of the crisis of that, someone came up to me and said to me, do you realise that when you have this baby and you look at that baby, it will be the first time you've seen your own flesh and blood? Because I'm adopted. So the people that had raised me, the people that had been around me all my life, they were not like my flesh and blood. And, and I shared a story the other week about how I had learned to embrace that family and absolutely they are my heritage and they are my family. But this moment when the midwife put this baby into my arms and I looked at him and I said, Oh, Jack, you're mine and I'm going to love you forever. And you're perfect. And, and it actually changed me to the core of my being. And you might, you know, mums out there, I'm probably talking more to you know, more women out there this morning because there's a lot of, lot of blokes away, but you might say, well, we've all experienced that. We all understand that. Or some of you might go, oh, I didn't feel that at all. And I, I don't know, but I know for me, it actually changed who I understood myself to be. It actually changed the light in which I saw myself. I can't quite explain all the details of that but I just know it did change me. So I was thinking I'm going to trip over these and put them away. I was thinking about this whole idea of what we're talking about this morning. Who do you think you are? And the Exodus story. So I'm going to do a quick little recap just on where we're at so far. So God um, created the world and he created the people and the people got about living and they always seem to stuff it up and they always seem to get it wrong. And God would always go back to them and say, it's okay, I will fix it. And at one stage in the story, we pick up the story of Exodus and we find that the people, God's people, to whom he's made a promise, have found themselves in slavery in Egypt. And they are very oppressed and they are in a really difficult situation. And um, Troy talked um, a few weeks ago about how God remembered them. He heard them. He felt their heartache, and he felt their cry, and he remembered them. And then God went into battle for them. So there's been plague after plague after plague after plague because Moses had been asked by God to go to Pharaoh and say, Yeah. And I spoke one week, a couple of weeks ago, about in, in one of the passages it actually says, Let my firstborn Go. Because, like, it's even more than I'll let my people go. It's let my precious firstborn, the one that I love in the way that God looks at us and the way that I looked at my son, Jack, and went, wow, you are mine forever. And so um, God has been asking Pharaoh to say, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. And God says, well, bam, and Pharaoh says no anyway and God says bam again and, and it goes like that and I won't do that ten times because I'll get dizzy and fall off the stage. And it gets to the end of the ninth, no I will not, yes you will says God because he's fighting with every ounce of power within him and Pharaoh still says no I will not let your people go. And God says, will you all this time? Because I really, really, really want them. Now, I I was going to click some slides. Let's do that. Now, the Lord had said to Moses, so we're in Exodus chapter 11, if you want to look it up or you want to look it up on your devices or you can read it with me on the screen. Now, the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. This is going to be a doozy. <clears throat> so Moses said, this is what the Lord says. About midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her mill and all of the firstborn cattle as well. And then he goes on to describe to the people of Israel what they should do in order to be marked out as God's special people and and receive a protection from this thing that is going to happen to the people of Egypt. So he talks about um, taking an animal and offering it as a sacrifice and taking the blood of the animal and they had to actually paint it on the door frames of their houses so that when God passed over, he would know they are my people, they are my people, they are my people, they are not. They are, they are, they are, they are not. And even more so, I love this bit. It actually goes on in, uh, a little bit further. It says, this is how you are to eat, the, so they were, to eat the Passover and paint the blood. This is how you are to eat it with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. I, and, and as I was reading this, I've been reading it and reading it and reading it, really absorbing the story and entering into it. I was just, I was imagining myself as a child that night backed into the corner of my house with my jacket tucked in like Harry High Pants and I don't really care because Dad is at the door and he's like, just hang on, honey, I'm just going to check again. Yep, we didn't miss a bit. Nobody saved any of the food, have you, because we weren't meant to save any, we were meant to eat it all. Have we done it right? Yep, yep, yep. And they would be sitting there... nobody they'll be holding their breath waiting because they had all been told that god was going to come over and go no yep yep no to the night i i I don't know whether you're imagining it it would be as frightening as all get out with your jacket tucked in your staff in your hand your sandals on at two in the morning going what's going to happen It would have been a very long, dark night. It goes on to say, at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and the Egyptians got up during the night And there was loud wailing in Egypt. I can can kind of picture it. I'm backed into the corner of my room and I'm like, Dad, did did you definitely, did you, like, did you need, were you meant to put it on the windows or just the doors? Don't worry, I've got it covered. We've done what God asked us to do. And then, like, you know when you're sitting there and it's like, and you hear a scream and another scream and a distant scream. Oh, my goodness, this is all I can say. Seriously. That's hard. What a horrifying. Thanks so much, Troy. Loving loving the passage. This is great. And this is the point at which we actually have to dig deep and grapple because that's awful. That's awful. There's a, there's, so the new movie of Exodus, they kind of made a new cinematic movie um, a little while ago. And uh, we went to the cinemas and we saw it. And it's the story of Exodus and, and Pharaoh and Moses and let my people go and all of that kind of stuff. And there is this one scene, I don't know whether you've seen um, this particular make of it, but where, where Pharaoh comes out and he meets with Moses and Moses's posse. And Moses is ready to let my people go because it's the next morning after the dark, long, long night of the Passover. And Pharaoh comes out and he hops off his chariot and he's got this, this infant wrapped in burial clothes. And he, come, and he comes forward out the front of all of his people and he looks Moses square in the eye and says, is this your God, a killer of children? I, I was ready to switch that movie off and leave the cinema. That's awful. That's terrible. I was horrified. I was really troubled. And, I, and again, I have, I've had to come and have another grapple and another look and another think. Is that, is that God? Wow. And I guess I had to bring some things into perspective. So I had to kind of go and and do a bit more wider research and have a bit more of a think and and actually begin to work this out in the light of of the story that I know that God has gone on to do and the character that I believe um, that he has. And infanticide, which is the killing of children, was something Pharaoh did. So remember the, the story earlier on? When we're sitting there and we're like, Pharaoh is saying, well, there's way too many of the Israelites. There's too many of the Hebrews. Drown all the firstborn baby boys in the river. Wow, that's pretty rotten. So that it, it was a thing, right? It was a thing that was happening. And then I began to think, is that, is that what God did? Did God do well I'm going to do with you what you did? To, to my people. Is that is that what's happened here? And then I had another think about it and I thought about the children who would have died during the night. Actually, they probably just died in complete and utter innocence, snuggled up in their beds. Just snatched. Just like that. Like that. Just just quietly and calmly snatched from their sleep. The agony was that of the adults. You know, which, which is harsh and full on. But but I think the, the emotion in me that got all caught up in the, did my God kill babies? Oh, actually I have to measure that. And, and then I thought, and I, I don't know whether this is accurate, but I, I reflected on the, what I know of Jesus on the cross and when the other prisoner turns to him and Jesus' response is, surely tomorrow you know, to, or today you are with me in paradise. And I just wonder whether there was a great party in heaven That morning, the next morning, all these children, they are with God. It's not them I should be grieving. So I'm trying to hold it all in perspective. Is this my God? Well, you know. And then the big cruncher. This is the thing that I actually landed on. In all of this, is this this my God? I actually think that it broke his heart. I don't think it was a flippant thing that he did. I don't think he said to Moses in the, the burning bush when, when Moses encountered God, I don't think God said, go and tell Pharaoh to let him go and I've got, he's going to get one chance and I'm going to rip out the, the awful thing, which is the Passover. He didn't. He fought and he fought and he fought and he pushed and he pushed and he pushed And then at the very end of his tether, he said, this is how far I will push because this is how much I love my people. This is how much I want them back. So I think that it's my, um, perhaps it's my naivety that wants to get caught up in the that's awful. But actually, if I think of the really big picture, that's how much God loves his people. He loves them so much that he is willing to rip his own heart out and do something that just grieves him. And I'm sure that it grieved him greatly because I'm sure that how much it grieved me is only a fraction of how much it grieved the mum, which is only a fraction of 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 how much this whole thing grieved God. So I'm going to lighten the mood a little bit because that's, whew, it's getting hot. So there's this beautiful Christmas um, little nativity story and I don't know whether you've ever seen it. It's a little um, Christmas nativity where there's these gorgeous little kids and they're dressed up so cute, cute as a button and the, the scene opens with this little boy and he's playing the character of God and he's looking through his telescope. Is that right? The Periscope? No, that, that's wrong. He's looking down um, at his people from his like sort of fake, heavenly, cloudy place. And he's looking down and he's like, it is not good. This, this is not good. I'm looking at my people and it is not okay. They have gone far from me. And it's not okay. And, uh, and then he says, so something, something needs to be done. I need, I need to go and I need to rescue my people. Something needs to happen. And these guys in the background, these kids dressed as like the angel warriors with their swords, they come out and they go, don't worry, God will send a heavenly army. It'll be masses of army and we'll have our swords drawn and we will bring your people back to you. And the, and the God guy turns around and goes, no no, that's not what this needs. This needs just, just one, I think. And and they're like, one? That's not enough. We should send a mighty army. And God goes, no, no. I think what I'll do is I'll send the prince of heaven. And I watched that. I don't think I've got any more pictures from it. We should, we should watch that. You've probably shown it here. It's very good. And then I thought that whole idea of when God wanted to come and rescue humanity, not just the people of Israel, but when he wanted to rescue humanity, he said, I will go to the greatest of costs. The greatest of costs, even the greater, greater than the cost that I paid for the people of Israel. I will go to an even greater price, an even greater degree to bring my people back to me. I'm going to send the Prince of Heaven. I'm going to send my son. I'm going to send Jesus. And he's going to die on a cross, broken and alone, so that I might be able to bring the people back to me. I actually think that's that's an even greater cost. That's an even greater example of the degree to which God will go to bring us back. So there's a couple of uh, John three sixteen, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And I think that there was probably a time, um, so, you know, Jesus was, was on the cross and it was probably the deepest agony that we could ever fathom. And then he died and was in the tomb. And I think about my little Jack and I think about holding him in my arms and going, you are amazing. I'm going to love you forever. And the degree to which I love my son is just a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of how much God loves his son. And God said, I love my people so much that I will give away my son my firstborn, my child. And that's huge. It's a, it, and this is in Romans 5, 7 to 8. It is unusual for anyone to die for a godly person. Maybe someone would be willing to die for a good person. But here is how God has shown his love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the cost that God was willing to pay in order to bring us back to him. I love that we showed the uh, Lay Miz thing before. And, and one of the things that really strikes me in that is, did you notice the women standing in the background when he came over and he's like, you left the best behind and he picked up the candlesticks and they are like, what? It's I, I wonder what they were thinking because that was a costly, costly, costly act for him not just to risk giving away all of his silver, but to risk the humiliation of what if that guy just nicked off and went, you know, whatever, I'm out of here. That was costly for him to do that for Jean Valjean. And did he deserve it? No. He'd been brought into his home, offered a meal, offered a fire, offered some wine, offered a bed to sleep in, offered hospitality and trust and he stole almost everything they had. And I think it's a beautiful picture for us to reflect on. We are not deserving. We are still sinners. People who choose not to live the way God wants. And yet he has gone to the nth degree, like he did for Israel, through Jesus to bring us back to him. And while Jean Valjean is, uh, is kneeling down there on the floor going, what is happening here? This is what is said to him. Remember this, my brother. See in this some higher plan. You must use this precious silver to become an honest man. By the witness of the martyrs, by the passion of the blood, God has raised you out of darkness. And saved your soul for God. There was no telling what he would do next. He could actually just nick off and spend the rest of his life as a criminal. A little bit wealthier for all the silver he got. But he could actually choose the opposite, which is go, a great cost has been paid for me. A great price has been paid. At great cost, that man sought me out. Therefore, I'm going to change my life. So who do you think you are? You are remembered by God. You are grafted into his family. You are worth it. You are fought for. God has gone to the nth degree for you. God has gone further than anyone in all of history for you. He has paid a great price for your freedom. There's a picture in Zorro, the movie, where the, the prisoners are all in there and, um, and the, Zorro comes along and smashes off the locks and the doors open. And there's this one second where the prisoners are like, will we, will we go? Will we enter into our freedom? Or will we stay here because we know what this is like? And I just wonder whether this whole story, this whole Exodus thing for us, is for us to understand that God has purchased us at great price and will we actually live as if we have been freed or will we choose to ignore the cost, the value, the price that's been paid? Who do you think you are? Well, I'm not worthy of the price he paid. Great. He didn't pay it because you're worth it. He paid it because he wanted you. Who do you think you are? Well, I'm an addict. I can't change it. It controls me. Well, he has actually purchased you for freedom. Who do you think you are? I'm lonely. Well, he's purchased you to be part of his family. I am broken and downtrodden. Well, he purchased you. I am weak he purchased you. I'm stubborn. He purchased you too. I'm filled with envy, lust, control, bitterness, disappointment, laziness, gossip, whatever it is that you think you are, he purchased you to be free and to be his. It's a lavish love. It's a radical love. So my question is, who are you? Well, who are you not to be changed? Who do you think you are to not allow God to change you? We're going to share in communion in a moment. And I guess the things that I want um, you to think on as the band are coming up is I want you to think on the Passover and think about how much God must have wanted his people back. I want you to think about Jesus and the price that he paid on the cross. It's not just a crucifixion story. It is the most atrocious, over-the-top, incredible offering for God to purchase us back. And the question I want to leave you with is what difference will being purchased by God make to your understanding of who you are? You have been saved for God.